This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Freddie. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the rise and plotted fall of disposable vapes. Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor at The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Cunliffe, our associate political editor, and Freddie Haywood, our political correspondent. And today we're going to be discussing the government's plan to ban single-use vapes and what it means politically. So where has this policy come from? Because I feel like um, sort of Labour and the Tories have been in basically an arms race on banning smoking and banning vapes for, for a while now. I mean, the big policy at Tory conference last year was that um, anyone who's sort of um, born beyond 2009 isn't actually going to be able to buy cigarettes legally anymore. And I remember being at a um, fringe. I was talking on a panel with Wes Wes Streeting at the Labour conference that same year, and he was talking about a crackdown on on vapes. So is this, I mean, I don't know, is this a rare area of... Uh, Well, there's some consensus. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Labour have been talking about it for two years. Mm. So it was one of... uh, Wes Streeting's first policies when he got into the into the role. They've been consulting on it. They've been pressing the government on it. So then we had a Conservative conference, as you say. Rishi Sunak stood up and he had this weird amalgam of policies that he announced in his conference speech. We had the HS2 announcement. We mm-hmm. had uh, smoking. We had this strange sort of rant about motorists that we've <laughs> not really heard since. Yeah, so vaping fell into that. So they're cracking down on disposable vapes. Uh, they're going to try and restrict the flavours of vapes. And then also you've got this smoking ban as well, which will be a, a generational ban. Yeah. Um, and Rachel, I mean, what I mean, usually when parties are accused of sort of nanny state policies, it's something that they don't want pinned on them. But it feels like that's kind of changing. Sunak said he feels there's nothing unconservative about caring about the future of children's health in the UK. Yes, there are a lot of different trends at play here that I think are really interesting. One of them is the way the nanny state has gone from something really bad, like an accusation that governments or parties don't want to have attached to them, to well, you know, what's wrong with having a nanny who takes care of <laughs> children, <laughs> i.e. your health, uh, i.e. the future. Of this <laughs> um, and Stop I think... Taking care of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so well. I think that's possibly slightly to do with COVID and COVID mm. sort of changed the 
assumptions about what the state can and should do. And a lot of people who before COVID would have hated the idea of the state telling them what was a responsible behaviour in terms of health or society. Uh, now, actually, we, we all did that during COVID. We all looked after ourselves and others. And so I think just the perspective of that has changed. Um, I think also, if you look at healthcare in this country, the NHS is in crisis. The NHS is also getting more money than ever before. It's being asked to do more than ever before. So that's why it is, it, it, it's sort of cut to the bone in, in certain key services. But healthcare is just going to get more and more and more expensive. And both parties recognise that, which means anything that looks like it's targeting prevention, stopping people from developing conditions, whether that's obesity related conditions or smoking related conditions, that is saving the NHS money in the long term. Now, you could argue and certain slightly controversial people at think tanks do, you <laughs> could argue that actually smokers save the NHS money because they die sooner. And what's really expensive is a decade of end of life dementia care. Mm. Nobody wants to have that argument because that leads you down some very disturbing utilitarian yeah, style sure. assisted dying spaces that no one wants to get into. But broadly, the idea is that, okay, the upfront cost of treating smoking related conditions is very high. Let's get people to live healthier lives. The reason I think it's interesting from a conservative perspective, because Labour have been talking about this for a while and Labour are also kind of the party that is more associated with the nanny state mm -hmm. traditionally, mm. um, is that there is a very strong strand of the Tory party that is quite libertarian and doesn't want the state telling you what to do. And that was sort of Liz Truss's faction. Well, she junked the um, obesity um, yeah. stuff, didn't she, that Boris Johnson brought in. So things, well, Boris Johnson wanted to bring in like an end to buy one, get one free deals and and those kind of policies. And, and the sugar tax wasn't particularly popular with that set mm. of MPs. So it was quite, a, not so much a U-turn, but quite a statement for Rishi Sunak to go there. I think he went there at party conference for two reasons. This is on the on the um, smoking ban, so that the smoking age, the age that you can buy cigarettes, will rise by one year, so that the generation now will never be able to uh, be able to buy cigarettes. Which I think is yeah. quite funny because you could have someone who's like fifty six after someone who's fifty seven to buy them cigarettes. Um, <laughs> but I think there are two reasons. One is he was looking for policies that fit his at the time message of long-term decisions for a brighter future, the mm -hmm. idea of taking decisions now that would benefit the next generation. And there were a lot of mismatched things thrown into that to do with education, to do with health, mm -hmm. to do with infrastructure. And like that was the kind of big ticket one. Um, but the other reason is banning smoking or banning disposable vapes doesn't cost any money. And there isn't any money at the moment. And the government is looking for policies that look like they are doing something to address all these crises, but don't cost any extra cash. Well, I think that's what's going on here. Because, you know, for Labour too, this is the incentive because they want to be able to announce things that sound quite you know, they'll have an impact on society and also things that they can achieve in their first term. And banning things is is generally quite popular. I was looking yeah. at the polling. Um, there was a YouGov poll that, that showed, well, suggested 77% of people are on board with banning disposable vapes. So first of all, these things don't put off the public in a way that we might assume the British public might not like inter intervention into their personal lives. Second of all, it doesn't necessarily cost money. 
Um, and third, it's it's quick. So I think you're seeing quite a lot of these policies come out of both Labour and the Tories. Because let's not forget, you know, there was the hint from the government recently that they would try and curb um, social media use from under 16s. There's there's quite a, there's the ban on XL bullies as well. So there's quite a lot of this stuff coming out on the Labour side. You Microsoft have the, side as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and you have assisted toothbrushing on the Labour side, which is you know sort of a classic nanny state policy, really, um, where you're very much interfering in the lives of families, but you you know, with the aim, the economic rationale being that you you limit um, children coming in with early tooth decay into hospital. Um, and they also want to ban junk food advertising before the watershed um, and sort of aim, um, targeting vape adverts at children as well. So they've got quite a lot of these policies too. And I do think it's an it's an easier way of doing politics when you've not got very much money to spend, even though there is, you know, you, even though some of the arguments are compelling in terms of saving money um, and protecting the public health in the long run, I do think there's a bit more of a cynical game going on here. Yeah, I think we're all giving the government probably a little bit too much credit. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with uh, the slightly more simple explanation that Rishi Sunak just hates smoking. <laughs> this seemed to me to be a very personal decision. Uh, he knew that it was going to have some some backlash within the party, as it has. Liz Truss came out last week and or this week, and she was very damning about the policy. But the reports that he just finds it disgusting personally uh, seem to me more compelling because it's completely incoherent. I mean, I, I know retrospectively they said it's part of this broader plan for long-term decisions, but it didn't fit into no, didn't. anything else. The tax cuts, uh, yeah. the the policy about economic growth or Rwanda, whatever you want, it was just thrown in there and I think it was... But he loves sugar and he's kept the sugar tax on. <laughs> well, there you go. Exactly. Are, are you referring to Prime Minister selfish. being addicted to Coke? Yeah. Which <laughs> yes. is... You won't go that far. He's a healthy guy, isn't he, in general? He yeah. kind of likes his Peloton and... He's been talking about fasting. I don't know how healthy that actually is. So this is not public health this advice, is not listeners. A health yeah, but I don't think sort of designing government policy around things that you personally don't like <laughs> or things that you wouldn't like your children to do is particularly wise, productive. Yeah. Um, and there is a yeah. whole debate to have around vaping, maybe not disposable vape because there's an environmental uh, element to that, but mm. around vaping where. Um, it is the most successful smoking cessation technique, device, product mm -hmm. in existence. It's more effective for getting adults to, to quit smoking than nicotine patches, nicotine gum. Um, people who are adult smokers and would like to stop find it incredibly useful. And uh, there, there is an argument even from people who work in healthcare that trying to take away something that is helping people stop doing something even worse could have negative consequences. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they'll still be able to vape. Yeah. It's just the disposable vapes are going to go. But as you say, I mean, they're much more accessible, they're easy to get. I mean, it's interesting because this is spoken about as Sunak's big legacy. He's not got much. Mm -hmm. He has got the Windsor framework and we've seen progress uh, on that again this week. And this is going to be something out. This will be something that we potentially speak about, you know, in 10 years time ago, oh, it was Rishi Sina who actually did that. So there's a, there's a legacy yeah, building part of it because people remember Labour's smoking in public spaces, you know, today. Yeah, it's yeah. arguably one of the biggest things that yeah. New Labour did, yeah. uh, just because it impacted people's day-to-day -day lives so much. I mean, it's interesting that when it was announced, everyone said, oh, look at New Zealand, because New Zealand was the first country to come out <laughs> and say they're going to pursue this policy. Now they've uh, said they're going to reverse it yeah. because they've got a new government in. Going back to the, the funding question, the new, new government has essentially said we'd rather keep the tax revenues that come from smoking and have tax cuts. 
So that's what they're doing with it. So I mean, you can I think you can look at the the funding in in various different ways. But we're not. Maybe going... that's how Rachel Reeves will get her tax cuts. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> in this topsy turvy world, New Zealand were leading the way on the idea of raising the smoking age a year so that teenagers now would never be able yeah. to yeah. smoke. And uh, I think as well as having um, policy implications, there's a kind of ethical philosophical point there about is it okay for the state to tell some adults that they can do something that other adults can't or is the point of 18 or 21 adulthood and you can do what you want and I, th I think a lot of people felt a bit uncomfortable about the idea that there would be this sort of ongoing inequality going up to when people are in their 80s and 90s. Now, obviously, it wouldn't work like that. The idea of the smoking ban is that you stop people from ever taking up smoking. And so it doesn't matter to them if they're yeah. 55 years old and can't buy cigarettes. But as a policy concept that you can differentiate the electorate by age in that way for something quite arbitrary... I felt quite uncomfortable with that conceptually. And I don't think there's any other policy area where we do that. There are things that you can do when you're treated as a legal adult and there are benefits that you are entitled to when you get to be older and, and pension-related benefits and things. But generally, we sort of treat all adults as able to make their own choices and things. And that was the, the reason that they had... They, that, they were following sort of New Zealand is another country had suggested doing this, suggested differentiating the electorate by age in that way. Now New Zealand isn't doing that. Is there any other country in the world that is mm. uh, looking at policy by age in that way? I don't think there is. After the break, we'll ask how would the government actually enforce this ban? If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, and far from the philosophy of it, I think the practicality of it is something that um, could be a concern. I, I was speaking to some insiders in the Labour Party, and they said when they came out with this toothbrushing policy, they actually had heads of nurseries get in touch and be like, we don't have enough sinks or staff to do this. So I think one of the issues with the nanny state, whether you agree philosophically with it or not, is... What about the actual state, like the state of the state at the moment? Do, the rotten state. The rotten state, which is the cover of our um, magazine that's out this week. I think that um, should be that should be like <laughs> your, your tagline, and yeah. you should, reporting on the state of the state. The state of the state. The state of the nation. But that you know, there's an issue. If the state's not working, it's very hard to implement these nanny state policies. So, take a vape or smoking ban. 
at the moment, do we have do the police forces that we've got at the moment that are so stretched that aren't solving 90% of crimes have the capacity to go and, you know, whack penalties on people who are breaking these rules? No, they don't. You know, I spoke to um, the head of the Police Federation for a piece that I wrote a while ago, and he, he was saying, what do the public want us to be? Do they want us to be, you know, looking out for people who are going five miles over the speed limit or, you know, low-level cannabis use? Or do they want us to be actually solving, you know, the, the crimes that are more harmful? Uh, now, the state we're and we have to choose between those things. So I think there's an issue with the state being so degraded at the moment that the idea of some of these nanny state policies actually being enforced is, you know, is, is in question. I guess that's why it goes back to the preventative yeah. message. I mean, Labour's policy on toothbrushing was designed to prevent kids going into hospitals as they say yeah. they are because they've got rotten teeth. Same, I guess, with vaping and smoking. As you were saying, it's designed to prevent... Uh, people relying on the state, whether it's the NHS yeah. or others. So I suppose, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, again, it comes back to how we calculate both the cost and the benefit. Mm. But they hope that, that it will reduce uh, the need of the state to provide services. But I think there is an important point in enforcement as well, because the disposable vapes ban is being the messaging around it is that it's designed to stop children taking up vaping and yes. so the restrictions on so the flavors the colors mm. where they can be sold all of that like they're colored like highlighters and they're very attractive to children who by the way are smoking less so you know that's a good thing mm -hmm. um uh, children and teenagers but children and teenagers like you are already banned from buying vaping products. Like there is an already an 18 age limit on yes. those products. So the idea that uh anyone can just go into a shop and, and buy one if you're sort of 15 years old. I mean, if you can do that, that is already an example of the rule being one thing and the enforcement not being there yeah. to match it. And that tells you something about enforcement and resources that just banning them kind of you're creating that extra pressure on regulatory forces and, and policing. And it's sort of like, they're already illegal. Can we look at, yeah. if that if that is not working, can we look at why that bit's not working before we introduce well, This is the key point, I think. Kids don't really smoke anymore, as you say, they vape. I think it's, it's more than double the the proportion of people or kids who, who vape over smoking. So it's, I think it's almost a redundant ban because I think, you know, 10, 20 years time, you're going to see very few people young people smoking few young people smoke already so the key question is the vapes and as you say they're already banned from doing so so how are they going to prevent uh people you know who already sell illegal cigarettes that's a big thing that's yeah. you know in in corner shops around the country lots of people sell illegal cigarettes so how do you enforce that yet again um when it comes to vapes all right well this is a really good subject i think we'll come back to it thanks so much for listening if you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us if you're listening on Spotify, you can just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shikelian, and my colleagues Rachel Cunliffe and Freddie Hayward. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.